Well, good morning, Westwood. It is so good to be in God's house today, isn't it? Uh, I, too, want to welcome those who are worshiping Wes online uh, and to also welcome those of you who are in the service today. Uh, for those of you who do not know me, my name is David Johnson, and uh, Susan and my wife and I have been members here at Westwood for 12 years. We were sort of doing the math the other day. It's hard to believe. Time really goes by fast, doesn't it? And so it's always a, a, an incredible opportunity for me that Pastor Kenneth gives me to get to teach God's Word to our church, and there's no place like home, and I feel like I'm teaching to my family today, so uh, this is a, a, a great honor for me. I, I hope you have uh, the Word of God, uh, your Bibles with you today. If you will, go ahead and turn with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5 will be an introductory passage uh, for the message that God has called me to teach today. So today is really an exciting day for me in the fact that this is a, a two-year sort of culmination of what God's been teaching me about a particular subject. So I'm very excited to be able to share that with you today. Would you guys agree with me today that we seem to be linked by everything? I, I don't know about you guys, but it seems like every email I get, every social media post I get, everything I get has a link on it. I mean, we've kind of come to this place and... You know, even as we communicate as business leaders, you know, we've got this thing called what, church? LinkedIn. So we're linked together. You know, we're linked for every possible Zoom call meeting. I mean, has anybody else besides me just really had it with Zoom? I mean, but, so we're linked to everything. We're linked to social media. We're linked to YouTube. We're linked, linked, linked. Quite frankly, I'm a little bit linked out. Uh, can I get an amen for that? Yeah, so. But I would say that we as the body of Christ, we're also linked. We're linked together. And we're linked to the Father. Now, there are a lot of ways we're linked to our Heavenly Father. Obviously, we're going to be studying God's Word today. What a great tool that God gives us to link ourselves to him. God had given us the Holy Spirit. Jesus, as a matter of fact, said, I have to go so the Holy Spirit can come, and it's the Holy Spirit that's going to guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is a linking mechanism for us as Christ followers to be in a right relationship with the Son and the Father because the scripture says the Holy Spirit only does what he's seen and heard the Father and the Son do. As a matter of fact, our gathering together in this room is a linking activity. So we who are faith followers, we who are a part of the family of God, we've come together in this place linked together because of what Jesus has done, is doing, and will do in the future. As a matter of fact, this gathering, and I heard, uh, you know, Kevin mention it, and the fact that, that we come together because the scripture says we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's because this links us together 
as faith followers, and it also links us together with the Father as we worship, make no mistake, to an audience of one. So we're linked. But I want to say to you, church family, and this is just part of my testimony, and it could be part of yours today, there was a missing link for me. As a matter of fact, I've, I've titled this talk, The Missing Link. So let's look at what James has to say, because I think this points so clearly, or at least it did to me, to this missing link. So beginning in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. James, in four verses, says five times that we're to pray. And it's not just any kind of prayer, it's intercessory prayer. When you look through this passage, and if you study the Bible at all, and you pay attention at all to the praying that happens in the Bible, the majority of it is intercessory prayer. And I believe because I know in my own life, and I believe that there's people in this room who would say, I really am not strong in intercessory prayer. I've had an opportunity to read a book that was written by Andrew Murray. Matter of fact, it's a collection of seven books, a thousand pages on prayer. And I finished it several months ago as you walk through chapter by chapter as God uses this incredible man who was born in the mid-1800s, died in 1917, and this, this man who had such a grasp of prayer. And as I read through and studied and pondered and put into practice and was convicted and was taken to the woodshed and inspired all at the same time, there was a couple of quotes that I thought were appropriate as an introductory quote to this message. Andrew Murray, and I'm quoting, says, Nothing so reveals the defective spiritual life as the lack of believing and unceasing prayer. Prayer, he goes on to say, is indeed the pulse of the spiritual life. Wow. So let me ask you this question. If we were to take your pulse today, would you have a strong pulse? Would you have a spiritual pulse of a runner, of an athlete, of a warrior, someone who was highly trained physically? Would you have that kind of a pulse or would your pulse be non-existent? Because I believe one of the greatest ways 
to take the pulse of somebody's spiritual life is how much time do we spend, not just in prayer, but in intercessory prayer. He goes on to say, we have far too little conception of the place that intercession ought to have in the church and the Christian life. He goes on to say that we can do nothing without it. So that is a backdrop. I want us to look at two major statements, and then there are three points that I want to make under each of those two major sections. Now, let me just tell you, I miss the outlines. I love to be able to look at you and say, hey, would you write this down? Uh, I know we're kind of not doing that as much these days, but I write mine down on my famous Westwood app. So you can go in under sermon notes on that famous Westwood app, and you can fill in these blanks. You're going, yeah, right, David. So anyway, so the first comment that I really want to make is this. The first kind of thing that the Lord taught me is when we intercede on behalf of others, we take our eyes off of ourselves. Now, would you guys sort of agree with me the world is 100% about itself? I mean, come on, we live in a world that's all about me. Unfortunately, I'm afraid that the world has affected the church greater in that area than really I would hope for. And the reason I can say I know a part of that's true is because I'm guilty of that. Because let me just say, it's very easy to make it about us, isn't it? Quite frankly, if I were to ask you, how much time do you spend in prayer? And then how much of that do you spend praying for you? And what you want and what your felt needs are and all of those things that you would like to have because we totally live in this world that is all about itself and I really think we have some repentance to do with that. You don't have to look very far in the Bible to realize that the Bible is the direct contradiction of the world. So there are three points that I want to walk us through this morning where we see how we are to respond to the scripture and live it out as it relates to us, as it relates to others, as it relates to the scripture, as it relates to the world, as it relates to the church, as it relates to the world. The first thing is that the Bible says that we are to consider others better than ourselves. Ouch. You're like, surely, David, that's not in the Bible. You're just really not being truthful with us here. The Bible says that we're to consider others better than ourselves, and the world says to do everything possible to elevate ourselves above others. It's all about getting ahead. It's all about position. It's all about promotion. It's all about in our careers trying to get ahead of everybody else in the company. It's all about elevating ourselves athletically on the teams that we're on, trying to beat out the guy in front of us, trying to elevate where we are athletically as it relates to the team. Also academically, man, we've got to have the right resume. We've got to take the right classes. We've got to make the right grades. We've got to position ourselves, elevate ourselves to the best of our ability above someone else, even to the point. 
And let me tell you, when I point my finger at you, I have three pointing back at me. So understand that, okay? So the truth of the matter is how do we get ahead oftentimes is to press others down. And yet the scripture says, hang on a second. You're to consider yourself others better than yourself. So look at what Paul writes in Philippians 2. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not onto your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Let me tell you, church family, there's no way to do that without intercessory prayer. So I want to talk about the heart of prayer. What does the heart of prayer look like? In light of this, the heart of prayer is manifested by a life of service. Because as we truly begin to put others before us, as we truly begin to pray more and more for others, then all of a sudden it manifests itself through service. And what's connected to service is the same thing that we saw yesterday. Other times as our people have mobilized to serve others, it's connected to this precious thing that we call time. The second thing I want us to look at today is that the Bible says that we are to be willing to give our lives for others, to give our lives for others, and yet the world says to hold on to life at all cost. Would you guys not agree with me that, man, we, hold, we live in a close-fisted world? I mean, we live in a world that's literally holding on to life at all cost. I was reading this week that the, that the drug companies have gotten in on this. Imagine that, right? I was reading this week that drug companies have spent billions and billions of dollars on, on drugs that increases our age. Billions and billions of dollars. More and more people are getting involved with things like hyperbaric chamber kinds of technology. Everything that has to do with the prolonging of life, hold on to it at all cost. And yet, what does scripture say? It says, the Bible says we're to be willing to give our lives for others. John wrote in 1 John, by this we know love. Let me just say, church, the greatest picture of love that I've ever seen is here, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Let me tell you, you can't hold on and let go all at the same time. It doesn't work that way. Either you're holding on or you're letting go. Either you're holding on or you're willing to give it. Jesus was willing to go to the cross to show the greatest act of love in history. And he's asking us to do the same thing. At the heart of prayer is this manifestation of a life of sacrifice. Jesus gave us the greatest picture of sacrifice in all of history. 
He went to the cross. He gave his life. They did not take his life. Listen to me very carefully, church. The Romans did not kill Jesus. The Romans did not take Jesus' life. How do we know that? Because time after time after time previously, as Jesus was going about his life, as they came to take him, he would literally walk through crowds untouched and would say what, church? My time has not yet come. They could have taken his life then. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. He asked us not to hold on, but to be willing to sacrifice. Use everything I have given you, everything at your disposal, a life of sacrifice, a life of using your talents to the fullest to make my name known. That is not possible without prayer. The third thing that I have learned about this is the Bible says that we are to deny ourselves. Let let me just stop right there and ask, how good are you at denying yourself? Again, man, I got three fingers pointing to me. I mean, most of us in America with the affluence that we have, if we want it, we go get it, don't we? I mean, we live in a world that really, we don't deny ourselves much of anything. But the world says that we are to accumulate for ourselves. That we are to accumulate. As a matter of fact, the world says, he who has the most stuff when life's over, what? Wins. Now, let me tell you, I'm... I'm, I'm proud to be an American. I'm, I'm thankful that the Lord put me right here in this country. I, I realize the blessings that we have in this country. But you know what I've come, I, so I just turned 65 in June, and I've come to this place, and I'm a slow learner, obviously. It's taken me 65 years to get this. But the truth of the matter is this, the American way is not God's way. Um, The American way is not God's way. Because you see, the American way is the same thing that Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 12 when he tells the story of the rich fool. You remember that story? The incredible blessings that God had rained down, the barns were full. What was his response? When you look back at the world and what they say that we should do is accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. What was his takeaway? I'm going to tear all these barns down and do what, church? Build new ones. Accumulate. It's all about more. We live in this world that's all about more. And yet, when you look at verse 20... And guys, don't shoot the messenger here. This is in the red letters. You can look it up. Luke 12, 20, Jesus says, but God said to him, fool. So really, truly, church, we do need to be asking ourselves, what's enough? How many houses is enough? How many condos is enough? How many country clubs are enough? How many hunting camps are enough? 
What's enough? At what point do we say we're going to stop tearing down barns and building bigger ones? At what point are we going to say we're going to take the blessings of God and we're actually going to make decisions to create wealth, not to be held onto or hoarded, but to be invested in the kingdom? Because Jesus says, I mean, so go back to the red letters again in Luke 9 and Matthew 16 and Mark 8. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and what church? Follow me. One of the incredible things about our country is our affluence. One of the awful things about our country is our affluence. Because you know what I found? The more stuff I have, the more money it costs me to maintain it. The more stuff I have, the more time it takes for me to use it. The more stuff I have, the more all of a sudden I find myself thinking about that thing over there. Any of you had that issue before? I mean, you've got stuff, we have stuff, right? I think one of the greatest distractions that Satan gives us is our stuff. The heart of prayer, however, is manifested by a life of stewardship. Because you see, I believe when we truly go before the throne of God and we truly pray as it says to in the word to go after the will of the Father, I think we will see our time and our talent and our treasures come to the forefront. The second statement that I'd like to make this morning that God has really been teaching me is when we intercede on behalf of others. We put our eyes on Jesus and what matters to him. The more we pray, the more we take our eyes off of us. The more we pray for others, the more we take our eyes off of us. And we put our eyes on Jesus and what matters to him rather than what matters to us. So there are three things that I want to talk to you about about this because I think it's so important. If we're going to really understand how to pray, we have to ask the same question that the disciples asked, which is, Jesus, teach us to pray. So we're going to look at three ways that Jesus prayed this morning. The first is this. When Jesus prayed, it was first and foremost about obedience to his heavenly Father. We're not very good at obedience, are we? I'll just tell you, as a kid, I got whipped a lot. I stood in more corners. I, I stood in so many corners that when I go into a restaurant, I just automatically sit myself in the corner. I mean, I, I've, I've spent so much time there in my life. I mean, you know, God must love me a lot because the Bible says he loves those or he disciplines those he loves. Now, I don't know how much time you spent behind the woodshed, but let me tell you, I can be as stiff-necked as the rest. But I'm so thankful that Jesus, when he prayed, was all about obedience, and I'm learning painfully, slowly, 
that it's all about obedience because what most people don't know in the first century, 25% of the population were slaves. What did masters in the first century expect of their slaves? Obedience. What does our master expect of us? In Matthew 6, Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. The truth of the matter is, Jesus, the master, expects obedience from us. Guess what? He modeled that because in his prayer, in his life, he was obedient to his father. How do we know that? And Pastor Kenneth talked about this some last week, so this will be kind of as a review. So when the disciples came and asked him how to pray, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done. Let me just say, the Lord only answers prayer that's connected to his word and is connected to his will. Now, in those instances, the answers can be no. I've had plenty of those. The answers can be wait. I've had plenty of those. And the answers can be go. Now, sometimes we like to say, well, oh, because God was silent in that, that must be a no. Not necessarily. Because the truth of the matter is, unanswered prayer comes when we pray according to our will rather than his. Jesus, in Luke 22, prayed a remarkable prayer. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed. What a beautiful posture of prayer. One of the things that I'm trying to learn is not only to get on my knees, but get on my face before the Lord. Because I do believe the posture matters. Jesus knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Listen to me, church family. There is not one thing wrong with us asking the Father to remove a cup from us. Not one thing wrong. Lord, please, I prayed when I had cancer in, in, in 15 and 16, I asked God to remove that from me. There is nothing wrong with us asking for something from the Father, but look at the word that follows, because you see, if we can get the nevertheless part right, then all the rest of it will fall into place because Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The heart of prayer is manifested by a life that's pursuing the will of God. It's one of the things that he's teaching me. The second thing I want to bring to your attention this morning is that when Jesus prayed, he interceded on behalf of his disciples. Jesus interceded on behalf of his disciples. So in John 17, we see a first century uh, red letter prayer that Jesus has for his disciples. 
So Jesus knows he's coming to the end of his life. He knows the scourging is in front of him. He knows the cross is in front of him. He knows that all those things are in front of him. And he's praying to the Father for his disciples because he knows that when he's gone, the pressure is going to intensify for his disciples. And he's praying for his disciples. He's interceding on their behalf. And he says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Just as Jesus, and this is such an exciting thought, such an exciting truth. Just as Jesus prayed for his disciples in the first century, guess what? He's praying for his disciples in the 21st century. He's interceding on behalf of every one of us in this room. How do we know that? Because the writer of Hebrews tells us. Hebrews 7.25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he sometimes, no, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Do you know what Jesus' primary role is at the right hand of the Father right this second? is to intercede on behalf of his disciples. Now, I don't know about you, those are close to shouting words. I mean, come on, church. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in heaven waiting on you to pray. So he's interceding on our behalf. Man, the heart of prayer is manifested by life that is far-reaching in scope. Some of you don't know this about me. Some of you do. Um, so I've been in ministry full-time for 33 years. The last 13 have been the most fruitful years of my life. Myself and two other men founded a ministry called Dulos Partners, and we do international planting all over the world. It's hard to believe now we've planted 29,000 churches in 80 countries on five continents. And if you believe that we're good enough to do that, then you're wrong. The truth of the matter is God is powerful enough. God is good enough. God does the things that he does. And one of the things that's amazing to me is I was very good at praying for people that I knew or certainly better at it. I wasn't very good in praying for people that I didn't know, people that I didn't have a relationship with, people that I had never met. So Dulos right now, we have four partners that, like I said, we work with in 80 countries who have 200,000 church planters, men and women all over these 80 countries that are out spreading the gospel. So that's where I started. I started praying for the men and women in the field that I've met over the last 13 years by name with their face in my mind. I started praying for the other 200,000 brothers and sisters that I don't know, that I know God knows. I've started praying for other church planters in the world. I've started praying for the big C church in the world. I've started praying for believers that they would be excited 
about the gospel, would be tenacious about the gospel, would go about their lives every day sharing the gospel with their countrymen, whether I know their name or not, praying for the gospel to go forth, praying for the men and women to be courageous, asking the Lord to be their rear guard, praying to the Lord that they would be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves, praying for those who are willing to lose their life for the sake of the gospel, that they would know when to stand up and speak up and when to sit down and be quiet. I'm praying that prayer over people that I don't know. Intercessory prayer for our brothers and sisters matter. Lastly, when Jesus prayed, it was about the advancement of the kingdom. The advancement of the kingdom. Again, Jesus' words, the harvest is plentiful. Let me stop right there for just a second. Let me ask you a question. Do you think, do you think we've made more ground in the last 10 years than we did in the previous 10 years in getting the gospel out to the world? Do you think the gospel has advanced faster than the population of the world? Do you think it has? Come on, we live in this world. We have technology. The gospel should be going further and faster, right? Right now, there are 3.2 billion people on the planet who have yet to hear the name of Jesus. Statistically, we have all the data in that says there's been, there's been less access to the gospel in the last 10 years than it was in the previous 10 years. Jesus goes on to say, you know, the harvest is plentiful. And let me just tell you, church family, the harvest is plentiful. We're growing at a net increase in our world of about 100 million a year. But Jesus says, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. The heart of prayer is manifested by a life that is completely sold out to making the name of Jesus known around the world and every one of us can play a part in that because let me tell you something. You may not be able to go to Pakistan. You may not be able to go to Bhutan or you may not be able to go to Afghanistan. You may not be able to go into some of the countries that we go in underground. You may not be able to go to some countries, but let me tell you something. There's nothing that stops you from interceding on behalf of what's happening in that part of the world. You can be a part and I can be a part of the ends of the earth. And one of the greatest ways we can do that is through intercessory prayer. And that we pray in a kingdom mindset. After finishing Andrew Murray's book, we rolled into a book written by E.M. Bounds. E.M. Bounds is an incredible, incredible writer, a man who was um, in, in prison not once but two different times during the Civil War. And he is an amazing writer on prayer. And so we're studying his book now, and I want to close with a couple of his quotes. He says, prayer without intense feeling 
stakes nothing on the issue, but it has nothing to stake. It comes with empty hands, hands that are listless as well as empty, and that have never learned the lesson of clinging to the cross. Passionless prayer, prayer that likes lacks fervency, has no heart at all. It is an unfit vessel. He goes on to say, heart, soul, and life must find its place in real praying. Heaven must be able to feel the force of this crying unto God. My prayer for us is that we will become such prayer warriors that literally our prayers individually, our prayers collectively will be such a force that it will be felt in heaven. You know, I've, I've sat in mud huts all over the world. I've sat across from men and women who are on the front line with the gospel. And you know, in 13, almost and a half years, I've never had one of those men or women ask me for a dollar. Not once. But I've never sat in one of those huts. And I've never been around one of those leaders that they didn't look at me and ask me, with all earnestness to say the greatest thing we need is for you to pray for us. Church family, one of the ways that we should mobilize is as prayer warriors. 